be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This week, Drew Edwards joins us to talk about Hellraiser and his new Indiegogo project. And if this is a life-changing audio encounter for you, jumped about 10 minutes in right now. But first, we're going to start with some confused first steps into the Hellraiser universe. Okay, so we'll have this experience together, and this is going to be preliminary to my first viewing of Hellraiser. And I don't know how I survived the 90s as a horror fan without seeing this movie. It's in, Yeah, uh, I think you need to give back your your badge. Yeah, go back to... I don't really have a badge, though. We'll make you one. So this is a little artificial, because I want to preserve my Hellraiser virginity for Drew. Um <laughs> So I've watched the trailer a few times with the volume off uh-huh. so that I can kind of absorb it without being spoiled by it too much. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here's what it looks like it's about. Okay. Uh, it's sort of a slice of life movie where two actors are trying to film a Calvin Klein commercial. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh-huh. they have a bad relationship with their boss, who's a goth with an acupuncture fetish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. The story unravels naturally from those premises. There's a lot of fog in it, though. So I think that, like, one of the major conflicts of the film is that there's too much fog to film the commercial. Mm-hmm. And it makes people very angry and they scream a lot. Do you think it's a character? No, I think it's just a nuisance. Like, it's an environmental factor. Like, they want to film this, but I mean, I think it's the main conflict because otherwise it'd be a very short movie. They just film the commercial and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you when you say that, it kind of brings up something that I find evocative in the preview as well is the resonances to Total Eclipse of the Heart. You know, the video Who did that song. Total Eclipse of the Heart. Bonnie Tyler. I thought we were like going into a Blondie video about halfway through, too. Oh, you know, you know, yeah. Or maybe um, what was it? The song by the motels, uh, Only the Lone or I'm going to heart in my heart. I'm going to. Swallow that makes sense tea. because it's a cheap motel they're shooting yeah. in. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, do you want to watch the trailer with me? Why, yes. Um, and after that, I might have a few more questions, but I think okay. this is a good place to start. Yes. I'm going to turn it on in three, two, one, play. Okay. So we open up with the title, and there's kind of an obligatory blurb by Stephen King who says the future of horror is Clive Barker, but I think that's inaccurate because the future of horror is Stephen King. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're into the commercial pretty quickly with some rapid cuts to some cheap motel blinds and what looks like a summoning rectangle with a sweaty guy. I like the sweaty guy. I mean, this is a good way to open the film. It has my attention. <laughs> there's his O face. There's a motel. Uh-huh. And like, there's this penis head monster. I don't know what that's about, but it comes back later on. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, then we have a title screen again. The cheap acupuncture fetishist guy really likes beef jerky, and that mm-hmm. turns up like 30 seconds in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then we're in a Blondie commercial. Uh, the goth guy drags a hook along the wall, and I think they're probably going to lose their their deposit on the motel if he keeps doing that, because yeah. that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. The woman screams at the fog, and then you see the penis monster, but it's got teeth this time, and I don't know what that's about. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Evolution? more fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the goth guy comes up, and he says... My lamp goes to the party. <laughs> You're right. Look for uh-huh. it. Yeah. Look yeah. for it. Yeah. There it is. Mm-hmm. 
my lamp goes to the party. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I may be kind of extrapolating. No, I think that's valid. I think that's valid. We didn't talk about the um, the guy with the uh, circular knitting needles as well. I thought that was part of the acupuncture fetish thing. Like maybe that was his sub or dom or something like that. Well, it is kind of a, there is a Venn diagram of people who enjoy textile art with particular fetishes that involve sharp objects and, right. and geometry. I uh, the beef jerky stick rising from the floor was very central to me. I mean, the goth guy looked really interested in it. Like he really likes the beef jerky, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they don't, they don't go back to that. So it's probably not a major element of the film. There might be some moments of comedic relief in here. Okay, yeah. I'll buy that. Uh -huh. Yeah. I did watch the second film, and it looks like it's the same cast, but they've really recently got access to AliExpress and bought a lot of tchotchkes. Right. But it's the same basic film. It's all very sci-fi. Like, there's a lot of blue space lasers, which are very Star Wars to me, but I don't know what's going on there. I think they went away from the uh, Calvin Klein's obsession into some other kind of more Cronenbergian direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't understand Trailer 3 at all. I'm pretty sure I've got one and two, but Trailer 3 is just way out there. Trailer two, I kind of saw as the, you know, uh, Hellraiser electric boogaloo. It was like a bridge sort of thing to the kind of final climactic musical number that is trailer three. Yeah. Uh, season three. Mm -hmm. Well, the middle Hellraiser always is kind of a letdown. There's also some Escher stuff going on. I liked that. That looked really neat. Yeah. Like they've got some stuff going on with kind of... Deserted cityscape slash Escher sitch. Yeah, they've got a much bigger budget. Did you notice that each trailer is 30 seconds longer than the previous one? No, I didn't notice that. <laughs> they were able to buy more paper and fog in this one, too. Yeah, well, they shouldn't have. Oh, and the chains. Mess up. Uh -huh. There's more chains. I saw the chains. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I was. It reminds me of LARPing. All of it reminds me of LARPing. All the screaming really reminds me of LARPing. Okay. <laughs> and, and the and extreme winds. No, that's that's just inconvenient. Yeah. So this one inconvenience for the actors. I think the central struggle is wind. Wind versus man. If the first one is or wind fog versus versus man. Uh-huh. Or fog versus Calvin Klein model. This is more wind versus architecture. Okay. That's not one that I studied in creative writing class, but I'll buy it. Okay. Uh, number two, everybody looked very sad. Like, there's a lot of melancholy. Yeah, I wonder if maybe this is this is a bridge. It's kind of a moment for reflection. I have to say, I felt like three... It's clear that the characters are a little too comfortable with their shtick. Like, it's almost sort of the reunion special, right? Was it filmed like 10 years after? I mean, that would happen. It is the first two are 87, 88, and this is 92. But Drew will okay. explain to us the whole Why the five uh -huh, year lag. And the other seven movies, I think there are 10 altogether potentially. So why? that will ask Drew that very question, I think. I think we all okay. want to know why, because I feel like this is, this is all you need, really. Yeah, and if you're trying to make, like, a simple Calvin Klein commercial, you really only need about eight minutes. Right, right, yeah. And a murder room. In a murder room with a Rubik's Cube. And some chains, some jerky, in case you get hungry. But I do feel like, yeah, the third one is almost a parody of itself. 
So I think this is their self-referential, we can make fun of ourselves, we know best how to do that moment. You mean it could have been a lighthearted romp? I think it might be. Like, I think, you know, if we decide, say, the first movie is total eclipse of the heart, the second one... Well, I don't know. What do you think the first one actually? What would be the music behind? Besides, yeah, like Yakety Sax pretty much goes with all three of them. Well, with the wind blowing into her face, mm-hmm. it's like Blondie Call Me is kind of how it sung to me. Ooh, okay. So Call Me is, is yeah. the first one. But Total one. Eclipse, you know, that kind of look and feel too. Mm-hmm. Um, also a bit of Goldfrapp's I'm Alive. Right. Uh-huh. Which I can never see that move that uh, video enough. Right. It's- mm-hmm. A lot of it was taken from the documentary of her life. Oh, was it? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. What about the second one? A little bit more kind of... It's just they got a budget and it went to their heads. Uh Like, I assume they were selling like the Rubik's Cube with Hellraiser plastered over the sides and things like that. And maybe a drinking mug that, you know, you start bleeding if you drank from. Ooh, maybe... uh... No, that's not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Remember those string art kits from the 70s where you had to, you nailed the nails into the piece of wood? Into your face. <laughs> so do you want to hand this over to Drew and see if he can help us get more clarity on this entire experience? I think that's probably a good idea. Do we need to explain who Drew is here? Everybody knows Drew. He like shows up at their parties, probably like as their godfather or something like that, you know. Gives gifts to the kids, comes down the chimney. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very jolly man. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 45 of The Dispatchist, and with me this week are... I'll point to you, Victoria. (laughs) How do we know who you're pointing at? (laughs) I'm going to point back at you now. Podcasting is a very visual medium. That was very... It was a very cheerful intro. Um, I'll bring it down the tone. Jamin. Hello. And Drew. Yay, Drew. Hi. So glad to be here. I'm so glad you are too. Drew is the author of Halloween Man, and we have been very happy to meet with him at HavenCon and a few other places in Austin. Mm -hmm. He's a really neat guy, and we're so glad to have him here. We feel honored. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I'm just okay. (laughs) Okay. We're all okay. It's pretty high praise in this current. We're all all right, as Jake would say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, does anybody have any hell news? I brought some. Is it all the news right now? Hell it, news. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. It is so difficult to do a keyword search on hell in the current yeah. on Google oh, News these days. It just doesn't work. Um, join us for our next episode on dumpster fires. Yes. <laughs> well, I have a little bit of stupid news. I got a fun book in the mail. It's Yandere Goetic Adventures. It oh, is a okay. Japanese cat girl Goesha. With summoning and the most adorable bure I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, it's true. It's true. He's dressed. This seems well. like Jamin. Like I was surprised when you mentioned it because that's Jamin territory. Yeah, yeah. Anime cat girls is definitely my purview. No, and no. I was like, "Are you done with the book yet? Are you done with the book yet? Come on, <laughs> come on." Oh, bure is adorable. He's she's there, done up as a kind of blue outfit, science girl with like a body rig that looks like kind of stylized hooves. And acupuncture needles and and is very, very cute. She's got spectacles. She does have spectacles. Is that what makes her science girl? Yes. <laughs> yes. And there's a chart. Oh, she's got glasses. She must be a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, beer, beer is a nerd. 
I guess he is. Is he one? He's he's not the architect guy. No, that's every lion. That's right. So beer, okay. beer is uh, herbology and natural philosophy. Right. Right. Okay. When he's wearing his glasses. Yeah. Nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was, I enjoyed this book because like literally Jacob and I turned the page and we'd stare at this and it's written in, in Japanese, allegedly. What? And what? Like, well, I mean, do you read Japanese? No. Pseudo-Japanese. Pseudo I think one can trust that it's probably written <laughs> And so, like, we'd flip to a, a random demon, and I would sound out the title in the katakana, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. And we got to Buer, and it's like, oh, it's Buer. And, like, I was like, I can read at least seven of these squiggles. I'm, I was so proud. And then I pointed out that wow. the name of every demon is written on their sigil. Yeah, like, I would, I would sound it out, and he would look at the sigil, and he'd be like, oh, that's, that's Visigoth, or Asgard, or, or Vuka, right? And I'm like, how do you memorize 72 sigils? He's like, no, the letters are on the outside. Yeah. It's true, it's true. <laughs> it's like a little name, like, hello, my name is. <laughs> it's exa- and I was like, well, I can read seven squiggles, and you can't. <laughs> Drew, do you have any hell news? Or any news news? Well, I definitely have something that might qualify as on the stupid or silly kind of things. Please. I, on, on July 6th, which uh, we may be past this by the time this podcast drops, I am launching an Indiegogo with my buddy Dan Price. It is a crossover with my character, Halloween Man, and his very paradidic superhero, the Latex Avenger, who is, uh, as you might guess from his name, is a condom-themed superhero. So uh, this this, this particular comic is veering... Pretty heavily into uh, Sam Raimi horror comedy territory. It's going to be a good time. Uh, we need, you know, all the support we can get. Yeah. So please go over to Indiegogo and become a backer. We have all kinds of cool perks. And even if you have never read Halloween Man before, don't worry. I'm going to have a bunch of my older comics up there as perks that you can purchase. So you can familiarize yourself. If that is your idea of a good time. Oh, there you go. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Two questions. One, is this in any way, shape, or form based on the classic horror movie, The Killer Condom? (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's a, that, that maybe, maybe if we do a sequel, we'll (laughs) we'll bring the, we'll bring the killer condom into it. Uh, Two, is there a webpage people could go to right now? Uh, So we have a pre-launch link. Uh, that you can sign up for for updates, uh, and you will be notified via email when the the fund launches. And once the crowdfund launches, of course, there will be a live link to which you can check out all of the crowdfunding wackiness. And what is the name of the campaign? It is simply called Halloween Man Meets the Latex Avenger, oh. because I, I believe... Uh, you should just cut right to the simplicity <laughs> of something. Although, Smart. although the actual issue, the in, inside title, the title of the story is Coffee House on Haunted Hill. Oh, I love so it. So there are also ghosts in there. <gasps> uh, if, it, if, it, if you like ghosts, then who doesn't like ghosts? I love a ghost. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I like, I like the band ghost, too. So. Oh, that's, uh, I, yeah, okay. I like a covered. ghost. Uh-huh. Does yeah. the band ghost appear in this comic book? <gasps> I don't think we have that in our budget. Oh. Like I, I, I hear they're a very expensive get. However, oh, yeah. with enough stretch goals, I mean, you could aim high. 
Mm-hmm. Let's, That's right. Let's do that. I I think I think you know we were are we, when I say condom themed superhero teams up with half zombie yeah. monster eating creature. Yeah. I think uh, you know that that should seem interesting enough because this has got real oil and water art. chemistry. Yeah, it's like it's very art house. Thi- yeah, two things. <laughs> very highbrow. Uh, it's two things that don't seem like they should work coming together and. We had a really good time figuring out how these two characters would would coexist because his character and my character are not very much alike, but that's okay. We we made it work, and you can find all kinds of entertainment value in that sort of fish out of water scenario. I love it. So I I when listening to your interview on the was it comics comics de la muerte comics de la muerte yeah yes. so. The latex Avenger, the merch or like gimme was condoms for one of the. He had condoms. Dan (laughs) Dan Price had condoms (laughs) that he would he would give away with with comics at conventions, and that's that's kind of why I became enamored with Dan. And I was like, this is somebody I need to be friends with because like that's a really outside of the box way to get attention and. I like I like people who are a weird and b not afraid to put it put it all out there. So in condom know, th- form, in it's- condom form, <laughs> that's well, kind they're, they're, of genius. I mean, it's super it, genius. It really is. Yeah, Dan, uh-huh. Dan's a really creative guy. He's he also has another comic book that he puts out called Bigfoot Knows Karate, <laughs> um, which again is exactly what it sounds like. It's Bigfoot and he's doing karate. Do you need a bag? Huh? Do you need a bag for this comic? Oh no, it's already wrapped. Wow, oh, zing! <laughs> you know, there used to be this mini convention in Austin called Nerd Cave, and for mm-hmm. whatever reason, Dan and I were always put next to each other. Uh-huh. And like the the moment that he started handing out the condoms, I was like, "Man, you know, like I I need to know this guy." I get, you know, like like what it's just just like. The fact that he even thought to do that. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, some of those condoms came in handy for some people. Yeah. (laughs) One would help. Uh huh. One would help. So, did he just like go to the store and buy like a case of Trojans? Were these custom condoms? Were they like, did they have his his face on the side? They have the the Latex Avenger logo on them. And according to him, and if Dan sees this and he has to correct me if I'm saying any of this wrong, but I think I got this right. He has a condom guy. He had a guy that he would buy <laughs> condoms in bulk, and he would print out stickers, and he would put the Latex Avenger okay, logo okay. on it. That's um, that's a know, tale. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like the fact that he even had a condom guy, he was like, "I have a guy." That's not have how a Dan guy at all. I, that's not how Dan sounds. Dan, Dan is from Houston. He's got a nice. He's got a nice southern draw, but for some reason, every time I do an impression of him, I make him I make him sound like he's like a, a mobster and a he's a made man. Yeah, like, <laughs> and that is so far from how like, he actually is. If you have a condom guy, you basically are a made man. It's true. It's true. I also feel like right now a condom themed superhero is, is like this is this is it. This is his time. Yeah. 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 Mm. He's a hero you know? for today. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's ripped from today's headlines. Yep, uh, the ribbed warrior of freedom. <laughs> the ribbed warrior of freedom, uh, and his sidekick Ruben, the spermicidal foam lad. 
Um, <laughs> I, I'm talking up Dan. I used to talk up my own character. Oh, that's right. It's like, up, does, is he out own. there talking about you? Oh, I what well, one would hope. We're doing this crowdfund together. I, I would think if he's doing <laughs> doing anything, he he should be talking this up. But uh, yeah, um, you know, getting getting it together with Halloween Man has been a lot of fun. Halloween Man himself. I always tell people this is my own elevator for pit, pitch for that. It's the weird adventures of a zombie superhero and a sexy mad scientist girlfriend. Yeah. They fight everything from vampire dinosaurs, uh, the <laughs> invisible man. They even fought Donald Trump once. So that's also <gasps> kind of timely. That's, yeah. Um, and Wish and was real. Beer's daughter is in this comic. It is true. Yes. Spoilers. Uh, what? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. There's a half demon assassin named Bella. Who, uh, <gasps> okay. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. You Always know? ask like this: which half is it the top, the bottom, left, right? Well, it's all demony from top to bottom. It's, they they look very demony most of the time. They can assume human form, mm. but uh, they for they they prefer they're very Bella is very purple for what it's worth. I I wanted to do a character that was non-standard demon color, and you know most demons are colored red mm-hmm. and things, but. Uh, so I, I decided on purple because I learned that purple meant death in the Middle Ages. Mm. It was yep. a, a color associated with death. So I was like, well, this character's an assassin. So that's perfect. And it's it's a little more subtle okay. um, than yet another bright red demon character. <laughs> I like it. In tights. Mm-hmm. Cool. This I'm excited. I'm excited for, for your collaboration. When is the when is the comic gonna launch? So the, the, the crowdfund starts on July 6th. The comic should be out by, we hope, August. It's, it's actually mostly done oh, um, at this point. We're get, doing the coloring and the lettering right now with, with April. April Guadiana is doing the colors over uh, a, an artist named Paulo Hernandez. He did the, the pencils and the inks. Dan and I wrote the script. And... You know, it's coming together nicely. It's actually, as far as the artwork goes, I think it's the best work of Paulo's career. He's another person I've known for a long time, and it's been cool to see his career trajectory. And the fact that we're all coming together to do something like this. Austin Austin has a great indie comic scene. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really talented people here. And so the, to do something like this and to team up with, with people that I admire and respect and you know, we, we've known each other now. We're friends. You know, mm-hmm. like we go over to each other's houses. You know, we're gonna, we're actually all going to get together tomorrow. You know, like... It's, I it's, wear his condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing I'm one actually now. Wearing, I'm actually... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that exact same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you recover from that? I, um, I like derailing things. <laughs> it's okay. Um... Yeah, you know, all all merriment and not not very, you know, it's it's funny. I'm definitely not showing my Clive Barker influence in this comic. There's definitely comics where I lean more into that particular part of mm-hmm. uh my writing influence. This one's definitely more of a of a I guess a Sam Raimi kind of vibe, but you know, yep. every now and then you got to you got to you got to go for the comedy. Yep, 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 yep. So you mentioned Clive Barker. That kind of leads us into our topic for the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is? Weird science. No, that is inaccurate. 
I'm going to bring it up whenever I can. <laughs> you're you're going to have to explain to me the correlation between Hellraiser and weird science, right? Here. <laughs> because we are we are talking about Hellraiser tonight. Yes. Well, well, I'll I'll, I'll hold my I'll hold my um my little my TED talk until later. <laughs> okay. I am counting the moments because that is a fascinating bit of uh, <laughs> tying seemingly unrelated things together. This um, is what I do. I have seen so much exploding flesh over the last week. It's been oh terribly, terribly entertaining. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to drag people into movies with exploding flesh in them. So, like, it's it's I, I have I have a rep <laughs> around town for that you know i don't like scary movies right and no. he was like okay i'm going to be watching hellraiser nonstop in the living room on the big screen For if you want three to go, days yeah if you want to go hide <laughs> under your blanket with a flashlight and i do and it's like and i got thirsty and i was like i need to diet dr pepper so like i i crawl to the oh, kitchen and i like sneak in and i walk past and over the couch i look out and on the big screen is a hedgehog singing to an elephant and I'm like, this is even scarier than I thought it would be. Because you, t- <laughs> that kind of friendship just shouldn't exist. It's an abomination. <sighs> I, I, I really have to know, like, with your, with your disposition towards, you know, grisly subject matter. How did you get roped into doing a podcast about hell? That doesn't. Those two things don't add up to me and i on castle of horror the podcast that i'm a part on we we do we did drag one non-horror fan into the show so i i know these things sometimes happen but i i want to know i want to know your your origin story like how you ended up here <laughs> okay so this one basically jacob and i were talking and i heard him in the other room saying i'm thinking about starting a podcast about hell with one of my prior publishing friends and I ran into the room and I was like, please let me join. And he was like, well, I don't think so. I'm like, please, can I be part of your podcast? And he was like, I guess. <laughs> and, and here you are. And so, yeah, I did not get roped into this. I actually asked. Eager. He yeah, summoned yeah. us. Um, there is a lot of hell and hell-related concepts and hell-related ideologies and eschatologies and theologies, which are not cinematic. <laughs> true and so if we approach this and if you know we in the past like we don't do a little bit of grizzly stuff um probably the worst moment was talking about putting a uh iron, oh there's two there's, there's iron two headed worm yeah the worms were okay worm, putting worms, the oh, worms are okay putting the putting the embalmed toe in a shot of whiskey <laughs> <laughs> and then the 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 coffin juice. Oh, like God. oh, the mummy juice. Coffin the mummy juice. juice. So like I, I yeah. So so everything else. Everything has been that I've fine. said. Yeah. <laughs> and the things that were uh, tangent tangential to. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this is good to know. It's, it's good to know. Scary. What, Hell isn't what scary. upsets it's you? Just terrible. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to go into my my pillow fort right now with my blanket, and I've got um, a couple paperbacks of the Babysitters Club, and I'm just gonna. Oh. Sounds like good. Medicine. I'll come back and that say goodbye. Good. So okay, sounds, well, we'll, sounds like we'll the opposite of hell. Yeah, have <laughs> yes. fun, guys. We're Thank gonna miss you. you. I I I appreciate you allowing me to talk about this this topic 
even if it might have traumatized one of your couple. Oh, oh. Wait, he was <laughs> we had to resurrect him at one point. So I think, you know, we've we've done our worst. And I was excited to see this. I grew up in the 90s uh, in the like the sort of goth RPG world. And it's, I feel like it's a huge shortcoming of mine not to have seen this trilogy. Well, it's not a trilogy to decology. Um, there's a lot of Hellraiser movies. Right. There's a lot. Uh, although I highly recommend that you stop after the fourth one. That is, oh! that is my advice. The fourth one looks like it might be better than two and three. So I wish I'd seen it. It's got a period drama I'm a big, segment. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of two. I'm just going to get that get that out of the way. Oh. But, you know, like, your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary on things. I think, um, I think it might. The movies start to go direct to the video yeah. after a point. And what they actually start doing is buying scripts for non-related horror movies and just in, like sort of pasting the Hellraiser mythology directly into it. So, really? Yeah. They're not very good. And I think most people, unless you are just like a hardcore horror junkie for most people i think if you you're you you should just start stop after four because that's when the budgets get slapped it's like they're slashed in half and you know there's just not very much care put into the movies after that point um but i feel like i'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) hellraiser okay well how do we start maybe we could think about how aligned with your assumptions my assumptions the hellraiser movie was yes when you know remember when we right watched the that preview it was a, an extended uh calvin klein's obsession commercial filmed by goths <laughs> spot on i 100 i was right <laughs> with a lot more clubbing people to death with hammers oh yeah and and when you said clubbing well i mean there's a lot of clubbing in like you know in the third one yeah they, yep there's a lot true. of clubbing what would happen um, if david cronenberg directed a calvin klein commercial i think that would just be hellraiser yeah yeah fair why don't you tell us a little bit about your love for clive barker first like what about him and his work because that f- must feed into your love of the hellraiser movies so my first Clive Barker experience actually wasn't one of the Hellraiser movies. It was the movie um, Nightbreed. Oh and yeah, I, and I am I am a big monster fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clive Barker creates monsters that are very distinct. He has a, he has a different eye for the way you know these creatures are going to look and. You know, as a, as an outcast kid, though, of course, like I I, I related to everything in Nightbreed. Yeah. I mean, it's you like, know, it's it's pract- it's practically a perfect teenager movie. Yeah, it's like evil Harry Potter, like weird yeah. science. Yeah, like weird science, <laughs> just like weird science. Um, oh, on that note, every five minutes or so, they would play a musical theme throughout all three Hellraiser movies. That was basically the Harry Potter theme. It was really strange. I believe what you you mean is that the Harry Potter theme is basically the Hellraiser theme. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, do you think? Here's a question. 
Oh, who was the Spanish director uh, who did a couple of the Harry Potter movies? Isn't he? A, I, I'm getting him confused with Guillermo del Toro. Right. But everyone does. It's true. Poor guy. But yeah, I know uh, del Toro is a huge horror, like collects. Oh, yeah. Horror props and stuff, but we don't know. I bet uh, it's a Corazon. Anywho, I wonder if, yeah, there might be an influence there. I, I wouldn't doubt. And, I, you know, Del Toro is absolutely uh, influenced by Barker, uh, you know, because of just the way you can tell it in the way his creatures look. They look a lot like Clive Barker's paintings. Mm. Um, you know, interestingly, so, you know, w- when I discovered Nightbreed, you know, uh, well, the thing that, that uh, you know, I wanted to do then was to go back and, you know, look where all that came from, which, of course, took me to his writing and then eventually took me back around to movies and took me into the world of Hellraiser. My dad, believe it or not, actually is or was, he's not so much anymore, but was a horror fan. And he was the reason why I was allowed to watch these movies as a kid. Like, my my mom was like, you're not going to rent a movie called Hellraiser. <laughs> and, you know, my dad, like... He was the guy that was like, come on, son, let's watch The Omen, you know, and, you know, like, it, it's, it's about good, beautiful parenting. and messed up. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was about the only thing we had in common. And, you know, it was it was, you know, fun. You know, I think, you know, I, I don't blame my mom. You know, this was, of course, like the, the 80s and 90s. And, you know, we, we there was a satanic panic on. So a mm-hmm. movie, a movie named Hellraiser probably seemed dubious at best, but I'm glad I got the, to, to see it because it's such a distinct, you know, what's fascinating about Hellraiser to me, first and foremost, is all this, you know, it's known for being this extreme movie and, you know, it is to a point, but what's fascinating to me is a lot of the stuff that he, that Barker didn't do. Like when he, he was creating his own version of hell. He didn't do horns and pitchforks. He didn't do fire. He didn't do all these, you know, what we think of as like the typical sort of exorcist omen, you know, tropes. He he called upon his own life experience. And, you know, one of the Re- things. Rewind like, that statement. Let's put a pin in that, so to speak. I'll, I'll explain that when we, when, when I, when I, when I get okay. a chance, but. Or, or or now, if you want. I don't know. Um, well, let's we'll let you finish your thought yeah. for once, and then we'll <laughs> come back to it. Very out of character. Well, B- Barker worked as a hustler in the seventies, and one of the things that he was around a lot was S and M clubs, oh. and he would talk about seeing people. He would talk about seeing people like pierced or or you know you know body mutilation, you know that kind of thing. He would see that stuff firsthand. And, you know, so when he was coming up with his own version of demonology and like who these, these creatures, the Cenobites that would be, that's what he reflected back on was his, was his queer experience and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's fascinating because most versions of hell, they draw on either, you know, broader pop mythology, you know, stuff like the exorcist, stuff like the omen, you know, that kind of thing, or, folklore uh, you know theology you know barker wasn't interested in that and in fact you know the vision of hell that you get in these movies seems largely removed from judeo-christian theology yeah. it's, it's very much its own own thing much more lovecraft really yeah yeah and i i just found that fascinating and of course 
the creature designs are extremely, you know, charismatic. Like the moment you see Pinhead, he's burned into your brain forever. And I, I could just listen to that character read from the phone book because he's got <laughs> he's got one of the coolest speaking voices in horror. In, in fact, like, that yeah. that is Hellraiser Seven. <laughs> 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 That's right. He just uh, you know has a stack of phone books. <laughs> now Des Moines. <laughs> so one of one of the theoretical like semi alt titles for Hellraiser was uh, Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. So was that really? or, or Sadomasochistic Demons from Hell? Yeah. was another one they kicked around. Well, that's pretty. Uh- kind of a WYSIWYG. <laughs> it was a little. It's a little on the nose. Isn't it? <laughs> a bit. Uh, a bit. I don't think it would have gone on to be the cult classic that it is if it had been called that, because it's a bit campy in in ways. That, I'm not going to say that the movie is devoid of camp. It definitely has some, <laughs> but it's not campy quite in that right that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like you know, like the movie titles you just threw out there. They they make me think more of like the the grindhouse movies that Tarantino and and Rodriguez did, where they were sort of you know a little more tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hellraiser is very much its own thing. Yeah. It's kind of a how-to guide, really. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So we've talked a little bit about your love for Clive Barker and started talking about his vision of hell and demonology. And that's a question that I had that is something we could debate probably is what are the Cenobites? Are they really demons? Because Demons typically weren't or aren't human at any point, right? Barker definitely considers them demons, but he also mm-hmm. get has the caveat angels to some, demons to others. So, you know, there even though Barker, if you, you read the Scarlet Gospels, which is, you know, in, in literature, there's only Hellbound Heart and Scarlet, Scarlet Gospels, which are the two, you know, books about this this mythology that barker created and he does he does refer to them at times as as demons within those texts but i think because again that it's it's removed somewhat from what we typically think of as hell you know that that puts it in a more ambiguous place although there is certain things that they do fall in to some of more of your classic demonic tropes, like you can summon them, and they they have specific purposes if you do summon them. And one of the things I actually really like about the Cenobites as demons is Pin- Pinhead's kind of a reasonable guy, at least in the first two movies. Like he's, yep. you know, this is my job, and mm-hmm. if you escape from hell, I'm going to bring you back. But you know, I can be I can be reasoned with, which is very different from other movie monsters, and it's very different from a lot of the way demons are done in pop culture. But there is something a little bit more, you know, mythological about that. I, mm. I feel mm-hmm. like their demonosity varies depending on where you are in the first three films, because movie one, movie two, we do kind of stand on the angels to some, demons to others line, uh, but in, in three. There's a much stronger religious vibe that's very badly handled. And number three, they're much more explicitly demons. Like, they don't have the idea that they're angels, possibly because Barker was no longer involved. 
And they wanted they wanted to basically turn Panhead into Freddy Krueger at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was wondering, there's a departure from kind of his character's Bible in three, you know? It just seemed like because typically in one and two, I mean it, he he followed there was there were rules yeah. and he only came to people who summoned him and only punished them, but then he just wanders into this club and starts, you know. Yeah. Yeah, one and two he was almost like the narrator in a in a DC horror comic from the 50s. In 3 mm-hmm. he was the monster a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've... Hellraiser 3 is fun in that way, but it's definitely doesn't have the lore, like sort of more sophisticated lore that the the other films and the the novella have. No, it has explosions. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I and it has sort CDs. Yeah, there's a CD head <laughs> Cinebite. I mean, they do give you in kind of an you know uh, in-universe reason for his departure in the way he behaves as a character that that he is now freed of his human side. But oh, right, I, right, right. Okay, I, yeah, I've always uh-huh. felt like that was lazy writing. Like, I, you know, like, <laughs> I like the idea of Pinhead as Hell, Hell's Repo Man, you know, like, I... <laughs> right, just, okay, like, yeah. Like, yeah. the fact that he is, he's a guy with a job, and mm-hmm. he's, he does his job very well, it's, it's that sort of malevolent, but reasonable intelligence, which made him a fascinating character to me. I wasn't particularly interested in seeing another... Freddy Krueger, although, like, again, Hellraiser 3, he does get some very choice lines, and particularly in the, the church scene, which is your background right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's good pulpy stuff, but it's definitely a step down, in my opinion. May I bore you with my theory on the demonality of movies one and two? Go for Please. it. Excellent. So, I think that the version of religion that it draws that the Cenobites seem to draw from is really Old Testament Judaism. Because if you go back very far, we have a situation where God is not good or evil. He's just God. And I think Leviathan definitely has that edge to it. It is just mm-hmm. the power of pleasure and pain. And it's also apparently very focused on order as a concept. Like it has a big order Jones. And if you look at the labyrinth, which is their version of hell, more or less, uh, it's very orderly and very gray, which kind of reminds me of Shale, the great gray wasteland. Again, Old, Old Testament sort of afterlife. So I think the Cenobites partaking of angelic and demonic, depending on who you look at them, kind of fits that older model of daemon instead of demon. Mm, okay. But there's a concept that I felt like the instant I saw that this is the trailer, I was kind of feeling like this. You have the the Seraphoth, the Tree of Life in the Kabbalah. Yes, everyone knows this. Kind of these 72 energy nodes that channel energy from God into the world. And it's like the, the world tree, basically. I'm really oversimplifying it. But the flip side of it is um, sometimes it's called like the Dark Tree, but it's the Klipoth. And it's it's silly to call it the Tree of Evil. That's just inaccurate. What it is is a dark mirror of the world and this kind of Tree of God energy but it's described as the shells or the husk because it's the layer of creation that is distant from God. So there's this image of kind of decay and brokenness and such. And when I saw the light streaming through the blinds in scene in like the first scene of the trailer, 
I thought, this is the hell that we're drawing from, this kind of brittle gray echo of the real world. Hmm. You know, this is this is the whole reason why I wanted to have this discussion with y'all right there is that, you know, I come at this from the perspective of a horror fan. And, you know, I I know some about, you know, folklore and I know some about theology, but not to the level that that y'all do. And I I was very interested in how you would you would frame it within the the other versions of the afterlife and the other versions of hell, because, again, it is very different from a traditional pop cultural version of hell, yeah. but like I hoped you would, <laughs> you 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 found the wiki, the, article, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even know—is it an afterlife? Really, it doesn't. Almost doesn't seem like one because there's a few images of the blessed or damned, but that's kind of just kind of shoved under the carpet very quickly. Yeah, and I was curious about the kind of decentralization of hell too. You know, we do have Leviathans mentioned, but there doesn't seem to be an actual, like, a Satan that is kind of in charge, right? I mean, I think the closest thing to that would actually be Pinhead. And, you know, Barker, you know, he actually hates the name Pinhead. He He calls the character Hell Priest. And he he refers to him almost like a like a as like a pope type character. Mm-hmm. That um, makes sense. And he he is very priestly in the way that he carries himself. But Leviathan, and I do think it's interesting that they they took the the name of a biblical sea serpent for something that's like nothing like that. Again, it's it feels very alien, and I think Jacob said Lovecraftian, yeah. in its its way, but. <sighs> You know, I there is no devil so far. Like you know, they never mentioned Lucifer. They never mentioned you know that in the films. Uh, the Scarlet Gospels actually goes deeper into this. They show more of hell, and that the labyrinth is only one part of hell. There's actually oh. you know a lot of different parts of it, and there is in fact a part where. Lucifer is, or his corpse at this point. Um, but don't worry, he gets better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, feed, you know, feed anybody enough blood, they get better. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's true. But the the films really never they never showcase more than the labyrinth. I, I keep actually hoping that they'll put some money into it and do an, an adaptation of the Scarlet Gospels because I think there was some interesting stuff. Uh, as far as expanding the mythology that none of the the films really ever had the money to go into but <laughs> you know it, it almost is more interesting to me that there isn't really a a quote unquote devil with like big big horns and cloven hooves and mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing um yeah. you know you asked if it's an afterlife though it's definitely at least somewhat of an afterlife because like you you get killed when you're there. You're there still in a spiritual sense because you when you escape, you're you're kind of a mummified corpse at first. Well, that happens a lot. Yeah, you see those at H- at H E B sometimes. <laughs> it's that's in the you know soon to expire. It's a, stuff. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. really underpopulated afterlife. Like there aren't 
the press of crowds or anything like that. It's just kind of one or two That's named true. characters. And I think the hellscape only has like a very few number of people ever occupying it, which it's infinite. So, you know, that whole infinite hotel dilemma sort of thing. It does sort of seem like everybody has their their own personal hell. Because when you see yep. Frank, who is actually the main antagonist of the first film, not not the Cenobites and not you know, not uh, Pinhead. But uh, when you see Frank in Hellraiser 2, he's being tormented in this sort of, you know, it's an orgy he could never take part in. You have these, like, writhing bodies under sheets. And, you know, Frank was, of course, very, you know, sexual. And he says that they tease him, but he can never actually have, have them. And... So there is a sense that there is some kind of punishment of the wicked going on, but you know he also he also chose to be there because yeah. he he summoned them. It may just be the wicked yep. that have invoked them somehow. Yeah, and here's a question that's kind of it's it's semi glib, but not entirely glib. But be glib. <laughs> I like glib. <laughs> good, good. That's that's what we do here. So at some point, should I just call him Hell Priest to honor Clive Barker? Or I, I still call him Pinhead. I think you know, okay. I think I would too. I can't get that out of my head. Yeah. Okay, Pinhead. Neither can he. <laughs> ah, zing! Ah, waka waka. <laughs> so when uh, Tiffany is doing the puzzle box, and the other Cenobites are kind of you know excitedly. Going towards her, he's like, no, 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 not the innocent. Say the so words. there's kind of this. <laughs> so there's kind of this, there's a rule there, but also like they seem to be pretty loose with consent otherwise. <laughs> you know, because with, with uh, Kirstie, they keep saying, you know, like, you know, you want it, you know, you want it. And uh, there are clearly a few people who have accidentally summoned them. And then there's the whole mental hospital situation and three but it seems like that kind of you know loose understanding of consent builds over time so i don't know where i was going with it, that, you but, know that yeah. whole concept of it's it's desire that calls us not hands that's something that they so like a lot of long-running franchises there's a lot of side media to hellraiser which includes comic books and there was a hellraiser mm-hmm. comic book that was done very much like a Tales from the Crypt style, where it was different stories oh, cool. involving I need to look at that. The, this box. And there's one story where a child with abusive parents, he uses the, the box and you know he he summons Pinhead and Pinhead, you know, picks up the kid and he looks at him and he sees that the, the kid has like bruises all over his face and he puts the kid down and he goes into the next room with with his parents in it and you know he effectively says you know well tonight i'm gonna be you know an angel and he drag he drags this kid's parents to hell so there is that concept of uh at least in some people's minds that pinhead is in the cenobites aren't evil in the traditional sense that we think of demons being evil that they are intelligent they're capable of rationalizing and coming up with choices which again is one of the things i found interesting i would i would call like you always hear the phrase anti-hero i would call at least in his 
original incarnation, I would call Pinhead almost an anti-villain because he has that rationale behind him. And, and to me, that is actually in some ways more fascinating than a character that that is just generically mustache twirlingly evil um because you don't always know he it makes him a little bit more unpredictable like you don't always know what he's gonna do and there's that whole angels to some demons to others like if he's Mm -hmm. if he's in a mood he can be merciful and take his take his uh pleasure pain principle out on more deserving targets um Mm -hmm. kind of like just fairy rules they don't necessarily make sense to mortals but they're still rules Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about the box? Hmm. That's a marketing there... a marketing tool. It just there to sell <laughs> it's a Rubik's, to sell the horror it's a fans. Rubik's cube. Yeah. I, I, I should point out that I do actually own a puzzle box. Um, oh, do you really? I'd, oh. I'd assumed as much. You know, they go a lot more into the origins of the box in the fourth film. It's it's there's a lot of you know, stuff that's interesting. I think that is actually the redeeming, you know, because the, the fourth film is a very divisive movie, to say the least, amongst fans. But I think that the stuff that goes into exploring where this puzzle box came from is interesting. Um, you know, it's it, it was created by a French toy maker. A, a, a cultist used it in a demon summoning, and that's how it developed its, shall we say, peculiarities. But it is also just very memorably it's just like it's a great visual it's almost like an mc escher kind of thing <laughs> like i again it's one of those things like just like pinhead himself like it's one of those things like the moment you see it like you're not going to unsee that puzzle box mhm yeah i was wondering if it has any kind of if it was inspired at all by a dibic box oh the- interesting idea yeah, do you know? I don't. The, I, I don't know what that is. Enlighten me. I think it's a Jewish. It's a Jewish object of kind of folklorish, but there's a there's a whole there's a whole kind of urban legend about a Dybbuk box. But uh, it's essentially well, it's a box as a, as we have stated, kind of like a Pandora's box, but for a demon. And there's certain things that you have to do to contain that demon. But I think that demon. Is kind of like potentially under your control. Is that does that ring a bell, Jacob? I have I to. I mean, it's, it's a, it sounds like a darker version of the of the genie's lamp, and it would have been the same time period in the same kind of region. Yeah, let's see. Just a quickie, quickie Dybbuk box explanation. So the urban legend about it is that it's. I mean, it sounds kind of like a creepy pasta, but. The creepypasta takes place on eBay. (laughs) But there's this whole story about somebody buying this box at a garage sale or whatever, or an estate sale. And somebody saying, like, you can't, you can't buy this box. And then the person being like, no, 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 I really want the box. I have to get something for my mom. I'm running late. You know, let me just have the box. So it turns out like terrible things happen when you have this box. And so this person gives it to various people, they get sick, their houses catch on fire, et cetera, et cetera, because they opened the box to see what was inside. And the stuff inside is pretty unremarkable. It's like a dried rose, some holy water, or something of that nature, some kind of little religious A latex Avenger figures. condom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, some old chewing gum. Bob Hope. <laughs> a, a, a doll made out of a, a cork. 
But so that caused the demons to come out or the demon. And then also the guy decides stupidly to refinish it, which also creates havoc. And so the creepypasta part of it is just, you know, like there was this ad on eBay about everything that had happened with the Dybbuk box, et cetera, et cetera. But there are all kinds of little, you know, videos and kind of many, there's a, yeah, the Dybbuk box, the story of Chris Chambers on Amazon Prime, but it is kind of this uh, folklorish tale of this box that is in Jewish tradition, kind of like the golem, like it's, it can be a protector or it can, you know, unleash horrors. And so I was curious, I, I wonder if it is kind of I can't, similar. I can't answer if that was a direct influence, yes or no, but it does seem likely what you're you're saying. I mean, there is, of course, something very mythic about using a puzzle box to begin with. And of course, there's that whole concept of order that Jacob was talking about. But I I have never personally read anywhere where anything where Barker directly talks about that. You know, what, one thing he does talk about a lot is, a, is you know, a Faustian pact, mm. which, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, is mm-hmm. definitely going on this, especially within the way the first film, the way Frank purchased the box in this very, you know, sort of pulp magazine version of, uh, you know, a market in the, like, mm-hmm. the Middle East somewhere. And it's like Hungry Like the Wolf video. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and, um... I believe the man even says to him, he's like, you know, it was always, it was always yours, you know? <laughs> and it, so it's like the, you, you know, the people that seek out this, this puzzle box are people that are already kind of on the fringes of society. They're, you know, they're, they're looking for something, you know, in the case of Frank, it seems like he's a sex addict or, or of, of some sort. And, you know, so he's looking for that sort of all, all, ultimate pleasure and he gets it frank kind of frank frankenfurter <laughs> there's oh yeah there's a cross oh yeah uh, don't dream it be it yeah. yes uh-huh oh my god we could okay so our next project <laughs> is to do a rocky horror version of but, but with paper, paper dolls <laughs> right yes so janet kirstie and janet are clearly clearly aligned so we'll have to okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna happen it's gonna happen the vibe Mm -hmm. i really got off the puzzle box was the glowing green orb from the heavy metal cartoon oh my god you're absolutely right would have been (laughs) like very like in the airspace when heavy when uh hellraiser is being kind of talked about it's the same sort of macguffin but like macguffin of evil Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm now that makes total sense yeah yeah i have to just say briefly that I kept, when I was watching the third one, I kept forgetting that it was actually filmed in the 90s because I kept thinking, wow, they're really trying to make this look like a 90s movie. <laughs> and it was. Like everything was so er 90s. Yeah. It's, got a, it's got a very MTV flavor. <laughs> like you could tell with that third one, they were trying to do a more accessible Hellraiser movie. You know, like Joe Bob, Joe Bob Briggs, you know, has this whole line of thinking of the, there's the difference between drive-in movies and indoor movies and i think the first two are weird enough that they're they're definitely drive-in movies but that third Mm -hmm. movie starts to veer into being more of an indoor movie and i still again i have a soft spot i have a soft spot for hellraiser 3 even though i'll be the first to admit it's not very good but like it's again i I just could 
like Pinhead gets some very choice one-liners and you know that's that's kind of enough to get a pass for me. <laughs> I I I guess that's not saying a lot. Watching them back to back, I really think that Hellraiser 3, Hellraiser 1 and Hellraiser 3 were the most enjoyable for me. Hmm. Because number 2, it seems like the most the best for storytelling and world building, but th- two-thirds of it is very similar to movie 1. And then the fun stuff is all kind of crammed at the end. So if you watch it back to back as opposed to like a year and a half apart, it's really kind of drags. Mm-hmm. And Hellraiser 3 Interesting. was very stupid. Like it was like my my pit bull stupid. But it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> It is fun. Um, you know, it's interesting that you didn't like Hellraiser 2 that much, though, because I would say if you talk to, like, the hardcore fan base, yeah. that's probably most people's favorite. I, I think it's just the context of watching it like binge-watching. It really didn't work for me. I also have a very short attention span. But the level, the level to which the first two-thirds of the film was basically the first film, eh, that, that, that was not what I needed right that second. I mean, like what you like. I, I, I'm a firm believer everybody should respond to things with honesty and, you know, sometimes, even if it means sometimes going against the, the, the common grain on something. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I love Hellraiser too, but it, it is probably the world building aspect of it that, that makes, makes me like it a lot because it's got that sort of twisted Alice in Wonderland thing going Very, on. Yeah. It felt like evil, yes. evil labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I had several laugh out loud moments in two because it seemed that they're really leaning into some very subtle things that happen in one, specifically regarding um, Kirsty and just like dumb boyfriends. <laughs> like, there's this great moment. Like, this is such a good throwaway moment in the first one. Where she's, you know, systematically trying to get rid of the Cenobites and her dumbass boyfriend like reaches out and tries to grab it from her. And she's like, <sighs> it's like, why did he ever think like, oh, excuse me, little lady, <laughs> I'm going to take this thing that I have no idea about and I'm going to fix this. Well, my, and then the second my one. Brother-in-law's, that, my brother-in-law is very into Rubik's Cubes. So there may be a general uh-huh. connection there. I think so, but also in the, in the second one, it's clear like that guy's just a dud, and they make him out to be such a dud, and again tries to like save her, and ends up just I, just blowing it. <laughs> I don't think Barker was particularly interested in giving Kirsty a love interest, I because you know she doesn't the, need it was going to be He's, her and Chatterbox at the end. <laughs> I know, well, Chatterbox, except then she'd be a pedophile. Because Chatterbox turns out to be a child. Oh, you're right, yeah. you're right. And true. Lord knows he wouldn't want the movie to go down that road. <laughs> he, I have to say, he was the creepiest son of it. Like, the other ones, kind of like whatever, but he was like, he okay, this guy's- He is legitimately unsettling to look so. at. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, especially when you learn that it's a little kid. <laughs> you know, the, the boyfriend in the first movie, you could literally cut him out of the movie and you wouldn't change much about it. Uh, it and I mm-hmm. think that just- he and he's useless, and the guy in the second movie is practically useless. And mm-hmm. in some ways, I'm kind of okay with that because it's subverting expectations. You know, you you know, Kirsty has to get out of her own um, her own problems, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I I tend to prefer that. 
how many monster movies do we need that have like some some he-man alpha male protagonist you know like exactly yeah yeah and and that carries through all three movies now that you mention it because in two of course it's kirstie and tiffany and they're you know like they solve the problem and then in three it's joey and the the girlfriend i can't remember goth, her name goth chick <laughs> goth chick Joni, until Joni, i think until things go wrong yeah i you thought know. they could have been an item like there was some some implied mm-hmm. tension there yeah and then Definitely. again you know her buddy the camera guy oh we all know what happens to him so you know it is kind of a yeah she's she's the last girl but in a way more well no sometimes the last girl's very very heroic too but there isn't like a a love a love interest at all. In fact, they get in the way. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. The, they're they're useless men, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm a hundred percent there for that. You know, there's actually, and also like if you you look at the second one, there's actually some kind of tension between her and Pinhead. You know, because he's <gasps> yeah, he's, he's kind of coming yeah. on to her. He's like, yep. hey, mm-hmm. don't you just want to hang out in hell and wear leather? You know, like I have such things to show you. Yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And in the comics, interestingly, she eventually becomes Pinhead. She she trades places with him. Mm-hmm. I think that that was a very natural thing for like a character growth for her as a character. Again, that's just the ex- auxiliary media. Like it's definitely not canon, but. It's something that I really enjoyed when I was reading it. And you, you, you get a, you know, very different design, of course, but with still the striking look of somebody with all these needles pounded into their skull. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but she also does some terrible things in one of the later movies, doesn't she? She, a- she acts in a later Hellraiser movie. She shows up, I think <laughs> it's in, um, uh, it might be six. Jesus, I can't. I can't get the numer- numerology correct. But yeah, she she tricks her husband into getting sent to to hell. And maybe he deserved it. I mean, he, he, he was he kind of right. He, he kind of does. Uh-huh. But you know that it, it's 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 still like a a sort of morally dubious thing to do at best. But I <laughs> is it. I, again, you also you you also have to take into account that this was once again a movie that was never intended to be a Hellraiser movie, and the company bought the rights and just injected all this Hellraiser lore into it. Which is why, again, I always tell people just just stop with the fourth one. I never feel a need to revisit the other sequels. Like you know, maybe some of that's nostalgia goggles, and you know, maybe some of that is you know because I'm. Being a discriminative fanboy, you know, and I'm just just blind to the charms of the other Hellraiser movie. But like, there's there's so, a few actually. As much as I love Hellraiser, there's actually even a few that I haven't seen because there's there's some where where Doug Bradley it doesn't even play Pinhead in it, and I'm just like, what's the point? No. Yeah, really. Although I am interested in the television show that they're they're planning to do. They're doing a Hellraiser. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, they're they're going to do a TV show I believe on on Hulu. Why not Shudder? <laughs> I paid Jacob for it. Shudder. I got nothing I got nothing for you there. But, you know, it's going to have a female uh Pinhead in that, which Pinhead in the novella is actually genderless and it's mm-hmm. this 
described as having a breathy, almost like kind of Marilyn Monroe type voice. They went Ooh. in a complete other direction in the film, obviously, because you have Doug Bradley and his gravelly baritone thing that he's got going on. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if you're going to recast that role, the smart, you know, that, that, you know, Doug Bradley did that so perfectly and he so perfectly embodies that character. I think you have to kind of go into a completely different direction in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's really smart if yeah. you're going to have somebody else playing it to to bring in a woman and you know have somebody that can put like a completely different stamp on it. Um, I, I assume they interviewed Gwendolyn Christie for the role. Ooh, that would have been good. I can't remember the actress's name who actually has been cast. But I, I, I'm anxiously waiting for a trailer because this is this is the first Hellraiser thing in several sequels that uh, it actually seems like they're trying. It's the guy that directed The Night House, and that was a pretty good, uh, you know, haunted house movie. So, you know, I think the guy's got some talent. So hopefully it ends up being good. Yeah. Can we go to movie one for a bit? Yeah. Sure. Mm hmm. So movie one, I think we started with a lot of the religious tropes that we'd carry in movie three badly. And that was one of the things I thought was most interesting, (laughs) like the kind of religious underpinnings of this strange house they're in. There was a scene later in the film where there was a chase scene and they opened a door and this statue of Jesus slammed down. And I jumped and said, Jesus! (laughs) (laughs) Which I probably, that's what you were supposed to do, I think that might have been the the pun was intended. Yeah, that might have been the intent of the scene. Mm-hmm. But there's, I, I think there's some like other stuff, like there's the strange, like floral things. And I was kind of, I mean, just the Jesus statue alone. It's like, what's going on in this house? What is the religious context here? I thought mm-hmm. that was really kind of interesting. You know, I've never, I, I, I must confess, I've never actually thought about the house and though that light. You know, to me, it's it's an old dark house. Old dark houses are in scary movies. You know, yeah. I never, I never thought about it. But there, there is kind of you know, there's the stained glass. It does have a certain churchy quality that, yeah. again, I'm ashamed to say I never thought about until just this moment. Well, the stained glass windows themselves, I was pretty sure that was an homage to the classic 1960 Corman film Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, because I yeah I noticed that it looks like um, an Audrey. Yeah, yeah. And then we uh-huh. spend the next like twenty minutes feeding people's blood to an undead thing. So very very little shop, little shop of horrors. I also found it weird that you know they get rid of all the religious statues save for the jump scare one, but then they keep Frank's bed. <laughs> yeah, they like to keep maybe like bulky waste disposal day just doesn't happen in this neighborhood i think you're right like there's a weird uh, holding on to mattresses in this series oh my god and yeah there's just a lot of filth a lot of like well like curated filth (laughs) Mm -hmm. you like the sabrina the teenage witch series right who me yeah no the one (sighs) the one on your left but yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me. I love it. I love it. The the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So mm-hmm. in, in Madam Satan's house, the tile pattern, wallpaper, and stained glass doors are all taken from this movie. Oh That's really? Great. Like knowing like like it is it is like, oh yeah, they did this on purpose. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. There's a lot of oh, hor- there's a lot oh of God. horror Easter eggs, but like those three items. I did not notice that. Oh my god. Okay. Hmm. I'm gonna have to look into that later. 
That's a good excuse to rewatch <laughs> Chilling Adventures Sabrina, I think. Mm-hmm. Just to catch those things. Yeah. yeah. Does Kirsty escape the orphan trope? Because mm. it's definitely there. I think if it I think she's got the magical orphan trope happening a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like there's a kind of a tiny bit of like the chosen there. Particularly she becomes help reassist later on. But, you know, it's established that she doesn't have a mother. And this is her stepmother. So we're playing the Cinderella thing a little bit there. But like the, mm-hmm. I think like the chosen orphan is kind of a, it should be on TV tropes, but it isn't. It definitely is weird that that isn't on TV tropes. Right, right, right. It's it's like popular. It should be. But I think there's some of that there. Like kind of this, the mother hates her thing and the father's a nebbish. Very kind of Sleeping Beauty in, or Cinderella in that regard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know if she escapes it because I don't know her final character arc. Does a pinhead sort of become a surrogate father figure? Oh, yeah. Figure? Pinhead, pinhead is father figure. Oh, I love it. After the <laughs> second one, she kind of trails off until the, until the movie that she reappears in. So mm-hmm. there is still that unresolved tension between her and, and Pinhead. In the comics, that's a little bit more there. And it is interesting that Barker has actual had actual input. He was a co-writer on the comic, which he was not a co-writer on any or or had any input in any of the later Hellraiser movies. In fact, four right. was the one only it was the last one that he was involved with at all, other than maybe taking a, a check that they, you know, they send to him for, you know, auxiliary rights and whatnot. But I never I I think now, you know, you keep mentioning Harry Potter. Now I'm going to start thinking of this as a very messed up Harry Potter fanfic. Yeah, it's like a prequel <gasps> series. Ooh, yeah. Harry, I Harry, like that idea. Harry Potter and the Servants of Leviathan. Yeah, and his, uh. like, his like aunt and uncle are two, two Cenobites that kind of hover over him all the time. What is it? What is it? The box is called the Lament. Lament configuration. Lament convert configuration. Lament. Okay, because L- that's or the- Lament? Lamont. I Lamont. always I always say Lamont. I could be the 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 actual name of the the crafter is the you know La, La Marchand or La Marchand. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm probably yeah, yeah. butchering the French because I am from Texas. But uh, oh, <laughs> we all are. We all are. Well, when I was in France a couple of years ago, I I was lucky enough because I have a thing where they talk about derailing. I was I have this thing where the further away from from Texas I get the thicker my accent gets. Oh, it's a thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a thing. Definitely. So by, uh-huh. by the time I was in France, I was like parlay view Francais. And I was I was lucky <laughs> enough that they were that it seemed like the French people were like charmed by this this hillbilly in their midst like they didn't <laughs> i i kept thinking that i was gonna offend people but they thought i was a who um, texas texas well, has a lot charming. of texas has a lot of natural charisma for some strange reason we don't deserve it <laughs> yeah we certainly yeah. don't deserve it right now uh, no. but you said in the other interview that you're from a really small town in rural oh, yeah. texas rural rural as it can get um i am from well, so, okay, so this is a bit complicated, or needlessly complicated. The area is called Possum Kingdom. There is oh, a yeah, possum, yeah, yeah. possum Kingdom uh-huh. Lake. Right. And the town I actually grew up in is called Graham. But I know somebody from Graham. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> most of the locals just call it Possum Kingdom. So usually, Way cooler than Graham. <laughs> yeah, if, if anybody asks, I usually say I'm from Possum Kingdom. It's, it's lake country. 
but yeah, I, I grew up in the, the sticks and I spent a lot of time watching and renting horror movies from my local video stores. And that's, I guess, how we, we got here tonight. Yeah. I mean, my involvement with horror movies started in high school just because, or even earlier, just we'd get dropped off at the theater, the movie theater, you know, and we would just watch whatever horror movie was showing. And every single Friday night, we did that until, of course, we were, you know, old enough to drive ourselves to Rocky Horror. But yeah, it's, you know, that was just our Friday night. And so I saw like every 80s horror movie. I, so. I saw a lot of them at our local drive-in. Um, mm-hmm. Like we, I, we still had a working drive-in in my hometown. So I, I got that. And, you know, I then, of course, you know, video stores and things like that. You know, Hell, Hell, Hellraiser, I did not see at the drive-in. Hellraiser was one I definitely saw on VHS for the first time. You know, it was one of those love at first sight things. You know, it's, it's it, you know, and I guess you could argue that it's bad parenting to let a kid see this movie. And I'm not going to get into the... that debate too deeply because i think i turned out more or less okay i'm not we like you yeah i like Mm -hmm. i like you too um a life life that goes into podcasting is probably not a life well spent yeah well i'm not i'm not i'm not a you know i watched this movie as a kid i'm not a serial killer i'm not a i'm not a criminal of any sort you know i just i wear a lot of black and listen to spooky music so i i think we're you know, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think uh-huh. I, I, I think that's the more likely thing to happen mm-hmm. to you if you're exposed to this kind of thing as a kid. But, you know, I could be wrong. I feel like, I mean, we could go into this could be a very long, deep conversation. But I also feel like having a place to put those dark feelings saves you from being something else, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, okay, just kind of leaning into it in a creative way, just acknowledging these dark feelings performing them in very safe ways goes a long ways towards mental health. And it's the people who repress those dark thoughts that often are the ones who are, you know, in some serious danger. But of course, they're the ones who believe that, you know, dogs are the devils and are talking to them. But they're, they're, they're the outliers, let's say. But I think for the most part, you know, those of us who are into goth and heavy metal as kids, we're fine. You know, relatively, 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 but we're like decent citizens of the world. We're kind weirdos. I I have a lot of empathy and I often say like monsters really aren't at the end of the day, the the really scary ones. If you you look at the news, it's it's other. It's yeah. Hell is other people, as they say. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's definitely a large part of the uh, appeal of now I'm I'm. I'm steering us back on topic. Look at me go. Oh, um, damn it. Yeah. Um, I think part <laughs> of the appeal of Pinhead and the Cenobites is that sort of subversive quality. Like they look so in your face. And in, in that respect, it's it's no shock that they they became very popular with teenagers in the 80s and 90s because mm, mm-hmm. you know they they are designed to scare your parents um you know they are body body modification demons that are hell-bent for letter leather in the most literal yeah. possible mm-hmm. but probably the action figure line didn't sell that well at the time <laughs> i don't know a little like oh my god i this yeah we really need to make 
again, some some merch like a a pin a pin head cushion. You know, like a little voodoo doll with lots of pinheads. You can make the little chatter. He could be like a stapler remover. Or a Pez dispenser. A Pez dispenser. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. See, we have so many good ideas. We got to, I don't know. We got to find a funder. I think <laughs> we'll do a crowdfund. Uh- <laughs> oh, no. I have a movie two question. Movie okay. two, the first half is in an insane asylum where we meet Kirstie, who's kind of chilling there. And then the doctor mm-hmm. turns out to be chilling. very bad because the doctors are always bad in these movies. And then they... And we meet Julie comes back from the dead uh, through a dirty mm-hmm. mattress. There, there's got to be something there. And mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't even think that's subtext. I think that's just text. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> You're right. it's original sin, basically. And we resurrect her with blood again, which takes half the film, which is again. And then we get to go to this magical un- other world. So one question I have about number two is what is with it with the weird guy that eats crickets? And why does he turn into a dragon? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that's, well, at, the, that that's at the that's at the end of the the first one. Well, he mm-hmm. turns into a dragon uh, at the end of the first one, and he eats crickets in the second one, right? No, that's all in the movie. Uh, he eats crickets in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the Renfield dude. I think he's basic. You you hit the nail on the head. I think he's basically the Renfield to the box. Like he's he's the one that he's sort of the keeper of the box. And you know, if you look at what happens to him, he's probably actually another type of demon. He's not a Cenobite. Because he looks much more like a dragon or a gargoyle or and or a traditional That's interesting. You know, it does seem like these tortures take away your humanity entirely and kind of replace you with an undead version of yourself of sort of like evil zombie. And a different actor. And a, yes, that too. That too. <laughs> you're portrayed by somebody else once you unless summon you're, the Cenobites. Unless you're Pinhead. Right. So, oh, it's the same guy. For some reason, I thought it was a different guy. It's the same, same guy. Same guy. Oh, he, just, okay. he just looks far more mild mannered when he's not made up like that. Yeah, he has kind of a Frank Burns sort of. Yeah. Like <laughs> he 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 doesn't really look like he would be the the big bad pope of hell, does he? Uh, no. Mm-mm. I think again. I think he's he's just the one that he he puts the box in the hands of people that are likely to open it. Actually, a couple of days ago, because I get on stupid debates on Twitter a lot, I was asking if what people thought would happen if the Ghostbusters ended up with the box, and I was—I remember saying to somebody like, "Well, I think uh, I think Egon from Ghostbusters would definitely be the one to open it." Oh, and yeah. This is all going to uh-huh. relate. I promise. Um, oh, I don't I care. Think, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that the I think that the the cricket eating guy, you know, like. He somehow innately sees that you're going to be the type that opens the box. I think when he sees Frank, he knows it. You know, it, it's that whole like, "What is your pleasure, sir?" You know, right, that's his line. Right. And I think, I think he just knows somehow deep down that that you are, you know, you'll damn yourself um, if mm, you if you mm-hmm. give yourself the means. And you know, be it by OCD or curiosity, or in Frank's case, you know, uh, you know, some some weird sexual hangups, you know, or not so weird sexual hangups. You know, I mean, the whole thing, you know, is about sex. I guess deep down, I mean, you know, you can kind of understand why Julie is. I, I guess I'm segueing weirdly. You can kind of understand why Julia cheats on her husband because he's he's kind of boring yeah a little little bit a little bit of that Uh, but the thing that really Mm -hmm. links all of the movies together is crackling blue energy definitely it's true and i think that's i think that's the tie-in with uh, weird science as well 
Yeah, you need to explain this weird science thing to me because I will I will not sleep at night if I don't know how weird science and Hellraiser are related. Okay, so number one, creating or summoning something solely through your desire, right? By some kind of arcane means, or and the thing or grinder, or grinder, Um, Ah. summoning summoning like use like. Being so driven by your desire that you're willing to use uh, some kind of, let's say, technology to summon something that you end up not being able to control and doing so whilst wearing a bra on your head. Because I'm guessing at least one person summoned the Cenobites while wearing a bra on there. I think that's in the deleted scene. I think Frank definitely had a, a bra on. Oh, head. I'm sure. He tried everything sure. once. He was definitely... <laughs> he had a checklist. Exactly. And especially after watching too, I was like, oh yeah, weird science. Because the whole Julia thing, right? Like the doctor, I mean, that was purely like sex. Like he just wanted to have like a hot lady. So, and she you know, took him to show him pleasures. And it just like Kelly LeBrock sort of you know, introduces these young um, idiots to, oh, you know, to to uh, not being nerds anymore. Also, risky business. There's a tie in. With Although risky in business. his case, he gets turned into a pasty blue S and M demon with snakes for fingers. <laughs> yeah. So now I feel I feel really <laughs> weird now because when I saw the blue lightning coming out of the box and Pinhead like reeling back from it. I mm-hmm. saw Dorothy's slippers and the Wicked Witch trying to take them. <gasps> yes, yes. Uh-huh. It's like that blue, that yeah. blue energy goes back a long way. So the slippers are another thing because they're a portal to another world of pleasure and pain. In fact, I, I, you could you could make a case for that. It'd be a weird mm-hmm. a weird case. <laughs> I think I could make a case for pretty much anything. If see, when I given some bl- hours of boredom, <laughs> I see the blue energy, and this is my background as a horror geek talking. But I always go back to the the blue flame rings that are in front of Dracula's castle and 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 the original Stoker novel. And so, yes. anytime I see blue flame or blue energy, that's like the first. Uh, I'm like, oh, Dracula. All things go back to Dracula. Yeah. Well, that's that's something we learned from Emperor Palpatine is that evil is blue shifted. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also saw a lot of, well, is this the one? Yeah, I think there's a little, you know, some Frankenstein in here as well, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, Barker and his collaborators are definitely, you know, students of, of gothic horror. And mm-hmm. um, even though this is, at, at the time, it was contemporary. But, like, you look at, Especially in two, with with Julia and her bandages, feels very bright of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yep. 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 Definitely like Mummy, Bride of Frankenstein, but definitely Bride of Frankenstein because there is this. Yeah, the way she's wrapped definitely is well, it's, it's, like, it's yet another layer of of fetishism too. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, you can mm-hmm. never get with, with Hellraiser. You can never get too far away from kink and. Um, <laughs> You know, right. like I, on TV tropes, I think they describe this this franchise very well in saying that it is the cross section where fan service and fan disservice. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Talking about gothic horror, I read mm-hmm. that Vincent Price 
played the priest in the third movie. Not true. <laughs> uh, you have taken away something that would have brought me great joy, Drew. I, I am. So, there's a. I, I imagine that that's a, a, a urban legend. There's a lot of urban legend in horror fandom. Um, but that Aww. priest is definitely not Vincent. Pr- Vincent Price. That that. I don't remember the specific year that Vincent Price died, but if he, if you look at Edward Scissorhands, he was quite a bit more frail looking than that priest. Mm-hmm. Well, you just so. pour more blood on him. <laughs> See, this is Jacob's answer to everything. Slap just it on. Pour blood more blood. On like, it. don't go to dinner at his house. <laughs> um, or alternately, or go, go to <laughs> dinner. Yeah. Another question I have about three versus one is you've got this. The Pillar of Souls, is that the same as the Frankenator in movie one? Definitely. <laughs> okay. Okay. I thought it was. I also think it, it, it sort of represents Leviathan because Leviathan oh. has that sort of rotating. Oh, duh. oh, yeah. I see that. That's good. So, like, this kind of spinning wow. platonic solid thing kind of runs throughout. Yeah. Interesting. Oh my gosh, order. I never thought it's of all that. about order. Okay. Okay. Wow. Oh. Okay. The safe so, word is order. <laughs> See, that's the problem. See, this goes back to the whole consent question. So, good band name or bad band name? Armored Saint. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I feel uh, like you, it's been done. It has. You have to, you're either a hardcore band or a metal band. Well, it's the name of the band in movie three. The club band. Oh my god! Yeah, that's their name. Yes, I did not. I did not even pay attention I to that. I think Exploding Sacrament would have been a better name, but it's listed in the credits. <laughs> Armored Saint. Oh my god! Yep, yep. Are they a real band? They're real. Well, that's a very meta question. Motorhead did a song for Hellraiser Three. Well, and Pist- yep, Pistonhead yep, yep. was the third, the last Cenobite in the movie, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh, look there you go. Armored Saint to see if it's a real band. If it's not, somebody should definitely make that a real band. <laughs> like, you can say, oh, we named ourselves after the band in Hellraiser 3, and people would be like, yes. It's oh. the same band. They're for real. They've got an album called Punching the Sky. Not punching this guy, but punching the sky. Hmm. But I like. I didn't know. Punching this guy. Well, I um, learned something new about Hellraiser 3 today, which. You know, if you tag that into my total circumference of knowledge surrounding horror movies, slightly larger, slightly larger. If I when, when I when I enter horror movie Jeopardy, I will be well armed. You might be an armored saint, even. A uh, movie three question: mm-hmm. explosions? You know? Question mark? <laughs> Michael Bay would be my response to that. You know, very, very. A, a, I, I think it goes back to that whole thing that they were trying to make a more accessible MTV friendly, like pinhead literally appeared on the MTV spring break, uh, to, to promote this <laughs> he, movie. He like, played little nails in his head, like one of those thumb organs. It was beautiful. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's that, you know, like what, a, what a mainstream non people who listen to Bauhaus, you know, and where, where black t-shirts with skulls on them. What are they, what do they want to see? They want to see explosions. So they, they put some explosions in the movie, you know, it also, it also has boobs. It does have boobs. Like weird science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other two movies though, um, you know, for all the sexuality in them, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of 
you know, nudity in the way we think of horror movie nudity. Yeah, there's no skin. Much, yeah, it's mm-hmm. well, there's skin. But <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh, Jesus wept. Uh, <laughs> I did not like that. Mo- that was the worst yeah, line. <laughs> improvised. Yes, you could tell. Was it improvised? improvised? Yeah, it was improvised. He was actually supposed to say, well, fuck you, too, then. And he said, Jesus wept. And I actually had a t-shirt. I don't fit into it anymore. So I sold it at a yard sale. But I actually had a, a t-shirt with Frank on it that said, Jesus wept. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I, I sold it because, you know, again, I, I love the t-shirt, but it just didn't fit me anymore because, you know, I'm a middle-aged man. But it's... Uh, <laughs> Can a movie truly be called a horror when it has that movie with many explosions? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, a horror movie... The the desire was to horrify, so it's a horror movie. Mm. I've also depends on how the explosions are used. I I would argue that uh, you know they're like aliens is a bit of a horror movie at times, and that has explosions in it. Same with Predator. I know that those are you know different on the different end of the spectrum than than the Hellraiser franchise, to be sure. Yeah. But uh, you know, I could have done without the explosions i definitely prefer the vibe of the first two films yeah the the two big departures for me in movie three were the explosions and crazy elliot's house of discount cenobites yeah the cenobites are are quite (laughs) dumb in three you have cd head and camera head and Mm -hmm. cigarette neck and you know like (laughs) you know you know they're they're uh, it seems like that they were just trying to think of stuff that would translate well into being merchandise and not <laughs> really fit in with the fit in with the, the the overall aesthetic of the franchise. And four has better Cenobites in it. It also has a, a Cenobite Hellhound. I heard about the Cenobite dog. Oh, I was excited. Oh, Cenobite Hellhound then. is very cool. It, you know, I think that that might be the best addition to the Cenobites out of any of the sequels um but uh yeah hellraiser hellraiser 3 you know it's not without its issues i uh i had some questions about cenobites and i just just talking about this i realized i can help hellraiser 3 they're very much aligned to the way they died or something died or something yeah. about them it's like a le- lexteleonis so, sort of thing Right. It's sort of like a saint that is often depicted with the object of their martyrdom, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know if they were thinking about that, I, but it's sort of a I <laughs> accidental. doubt that the people who made Hellraiser 3 were thinking about that. <laughs> like I, CDs, that's his martyrdom. He's, he's um, a bartender, so he, he <laughs> makes explosive cocktails. Like, I, I just think they were trying to come up with, with monsters and i mean they do give themselves an out like pin pinhead does actually say like well they they pale in comparison to my former troops i had to i had to work with what was around me <laughs> that's um, right that's so, right like yeah he's almost oh Aww, you got the hellhound behind that's you so cute yeah it, so this is an important question if you were a cenobite what would you be and that's tough um, well, I guess if you go off the Hellraiser 3 rules, I might be, like, comic book head, and I would have, like, paper cuts all over me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Very nice. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, if, 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 
you know, we're going off of the first two films, I don't know. Like, it seems a bit more random. You know, being a Cenobite seems like it's simultaneously cool, but also kind of sad, because, like, you, you lose yourself eventually. You know, you, you start to not remember where you came mm-hmm. from. And I think that, you know, I, I have a lot of fear surrounding loss of identity and that kind of thing. And I feel like that's, that's, that almost makes them tragic to me. Yeah. Especially when, you know, we see the people that they were, you know, mm-hmm. phenomenal supernatural power at the cost of your, your identity. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is, again, it goes back to that. I guess that it's like, it's a monkey's paw kind of thing. But, you know, Hellraiser 3, you know, it's definitely more gimmicky. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with my, co- my, my comic book head. That's, I uh, like that. Yeah. I would have I like paper that. cuts all over me. What about you? What would you, what kind of Cenobite would you be? I don't know. This is hard too. I'm trying to think of like, what? I mean, if, it, if we do follow those kind of identity rules. Well, movie three, you don't overthink movie three. Right. So I think it would have to be like, you know, kind of an obvious choice. Bees. Like, okay, bees. Something having to, like, I would have a stinger. Bees living maybe. in your eyes. I was thinking like having honey, like like a honeycomb. You could have like a leather beekeeper outfit. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And just like have bees kind of like living in crevice, like in holes in my body and have a I'm stinger. I'm telling you eyes. It's all about the eyes. Interestingly they come out of the eyes. enough, that becomes mm-hmm. another another Clive Barker reference because it's sort of shades of Candyman. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So I think that would be the obvious. One. And of course, there'd be like kind of dripping like honey, just kind of ugh, disgusting goo. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 into it. Let's. I think that that's that's unlocked. Let's make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of digging on the Cenobite dog because my my spirit animal is a Mexican hairless. But mm-hmm. I think that I would want to be. I want my head replaced with an instant pot. <laughs> that's wildly appropriate. Spouting uh-huh. steam. <laughs> steam head. <laughs> That would be that would be really really awesome. Uh-huh. You know those the, those do feel kind of hellish. You if you burn yourself on that steam, right? So oh yeah, I, yep. I, I'm I'm there for that. Pressure cookers are kind of ter- terrifying, even though the Instapot's not supposed to be scary. I'm still scared of it. Well, that seems like a really great place to stop. Actually, so Drew, I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. Where can we find your crowdfunding campaign again? Uh, it's on Indiegogo. It starts on July 6th. It's going to run for about six weeks. And again, it's a Halloween man meets the latex Avenger. Lots of horror comedy goodness. Um, not very much like Hellraiser, but uh, if you enjoy this conversation, you probably will find something to enjoy there. You can also, uh, if, if you like podcasts, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you, you do. One hopes. Um, one hopes. I, I am part of the Castle of Horror podcast. It's a weekly movie review podcast. It's a different horror film every week. Um, we have a very broad selection. We do everything from classic black and white horror movies to, you know, 80s splatter movies like Hellraiser. In fact, we did Hellraiser 1 and 2 oh. uh, just a year ago. Um, but also, uh, you know, we do weird stuff. Like we, we do, we've just done a bunch of Japanese monster movies. Um, we Mm -hmm. we do occasionally we do horror themed anime. 
Uh, we do even weird off the ball things like we did an episode on uh, Batman versus Dracula. It was just an animated movie. So like there's there's something there for every kind of genre fan, I think. If you and we have over 300 episodes, so you know, there's a lot of stuff to choose from. Cool. Yeah. It's great. It's really Thank fun. You. Uh, if you're new to our podcast, you can find us at dispatch.ist, and we'll have our links to social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook up there. And until then, I guess, Drew, Victoria, we will see you both in hell. Yes. <laughs> thanks, Drew. I'll, I'll be sure to wear leather. <laughs> yeah. I'll, be, I'll, I'll wear my bees. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear my bees. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.